0: hot stuff, gourmands, this show is for you. <laughs> You're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Abe, and we're going to be talking about, among other things, uh, some great spices, starting with a conversation with Ori Zohar, uh, who is part of Burlap and Barrel. He's a partner in Burlap and Barrel, which is by far our favorite spice company right now. Um, he's going to tell us about Four
1: peppercorns. Not, not only is he going to tell us about four peppercorns, he's going to preview the fact that we're, he's going to be back. Or his partner are going to be back on the program talking about other spices. Yeah, we're going to make well. this a regular feature. So, so, so in, home, everybody likes spices. Mm-hmm. So hang in, hang in there. Make, make a make a mental note or a physical note that says there's going to be something in every two or three weeks about your favorite spice and we'll put out news about which dates that's going to be on the news page. So, anyway, here's Uri.
0: I think our regular listeners by now know that um, uh, I'm playing favorites with my most favorite special spice company. When I talk to somebody from Burlap and Barrel, um, we're talking to Uri Zohar, who's the uh, partner with Ethan who we've talked to before and oh they have such an interesting company and such an interesting though I would say very demanding life can you give us just a capsule um, brief description of Burlap and Barrel the company
2: yeah absolutely this is Ori Zohar and I'm so glad to be here thank you for having us back on your show um you're a little bit about burlap and barrel. Uh, we, we just turned three years old this February, and we're a single-origin spice company. So most spices change hands 15 to 20 times, take three to ten years to get into the country. And they're kind of in the way that coffee and tea and chocolate used to be, where coffee used to just be black coffee, and that's all. And now we get Guatemalan, shade-grown, medium roast, and we've kind of been able to get much better stuff but through kind of clear and transparent supply chains. We're doing a similar thing for spices. Um, and so we work directly with farmers. We find these entrepreneurial, ambitious farmers that are growing exceptional spices that the commodity market doesn't yeah. really care for, doesn't want to pay a premium for, and we pay them significantly more. We register them to be their own direct exporters with the FDA. We send trucks to their farms and field and bring incredibly fresh, incredibly well sourced spices. How do you to find the these kitchen.
0: people? Where do you? How do you source these farms?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. It's always, it's always kind of from a different source. We met with a handful of farmers in northern Vietnam that we knew through somebody who we knew was a chef in New York City and her cousin was actually growing in one in northern Vietnam where they grow star anise. Every so often we meet with the local government agencies that will take us around and introduce us to farmers. Sometimes we're with nonprofits or NGOs. It's the, the, the way that we find the farmers is always a little bit different, whether it's through friends or professional contacts or local government contacts. But it's always really clear when we found the right farmer because they have a super clean, super professional approach to growing the spices. They're really ambitious in what they're trying to do, and they have extremely strong feelings about why they do the things they do them. Um, which in what leads to the really great quality of the spices that they're growing.
1: Yeah. That, now you've got you've got some fairly risky business out there. I was I was reading about your saffron, and your your saffron oh, comes yeah. comes from the border of Afghanistan and Iran.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm getting some uh, of that. By the way, I'm, I'm going to order some of that. Good,
1: good. Soon. But but it still seems it seems a little shaky. I mean, didn't, didn't you worry a little bit when we shot that, General?
0: He's not traveling luxury at this point. Go ahead. <laughs> Don't worry. I like this.
2: Um, we, we go to meet spice farmers wherever spices are being grown. Um, and, you know, the, the, the folks in Afghanistan, it's really interesting. It's a it's, uh, cooperative of folks that, that are growing the saffron over there. And Afghanistan has really built a pretty meaningful uh, saffron industry, you know, in the past few years. Initially, Spain was the main one, and then Iran started growing and providing the majority of the saffron for the world. And we've even seen crazy numbers, like how Spain grows 1,500 kilograms of saffron a year, but they export 18,000 kilograms. <laughs> so there's a lot of, you know, yeah. questions on where some of these spices are coming from.
0: Exactly. In
2: Afghanistan, we work with a non-profit there that works on removing mines uh, from what used to be farmland and restoring it back to being farmland. Oh, there you go. And so, we're really grateful to be able to travel and to go to these places. We don't go seeking out danger or really feel like, you know, we're we're in danger as we're traveling. It's been just really wonderful to meet these farmers and get to know their worlds and all that. And luckily through either local guides or connections or government representatives or whoever, we know that we're in good hands whenever we're traveling to these places.
1: Was it, was it in Spain or in Italy where we met the old man who was the head of the Saffron Consortium? I don't remember. One, one, one of our trips, it was, it was an area which had been growing saffron for a very long time, but wasn't growing very much anymore. But we met this elderly gentleman who was, who was the head of the consortium which, which controlled this supply source for saffron, but it was in either Spain or Italy and I can't remember which.
0: Yeah, I don't remember either.
2: But, uh, yeah, the, saffron is so difficult to, to you know, it, it's difficult to grow. Every oh, yeah. flower that opens up produces three stamens that you kind yeah,
0: of so get. I, and so I was, it, I at one point, wanted to grow it in my front garden, but i have read about it and decided, no, I don't think that's a good idea.
1: <laughs> but, 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 yeah. he, but here's a man who knows his spices because he knows how to recognize a fake saffron. Yeah,
0: yeah, well, yeah that's right. The reason yeah, I'm getting it, his is because I mean they it's variegated in color. I've never read that anywhere, Ori. The yeah, comes to yeah. light and that proves that it's real, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. And there's a lot of we do this in restaurants a lot, because many chefs, you know, just it's the first insight for our business that helped us realize that there was something to be built here is meeting with chefs and seeing how excited they were getting about the spices. Because they have access to all the best ingredients in the world, uh-huh. and they were getting excited with some spices that my co-founder Ethan was bringing into the country in his checked luggage, and all, it's all the way at the beginning of the business before it even existed. Uh-huh. We were we we knew that there was an opportunity here to do something more, and so we would go into restaurants, and if you put a thread of saffron inside of of a glass of kind of warm water, there are a few kind of tells that it's that it's not genuine saffron. Cheaper or fake saffron, will they'll take another part of the plant and dye it, and then they'll oh, yeah. twist it by hand. And so when you see this kind of color immediately release into the water, or you see this thing starting to unfurl, <laughs> you, you you should have some questions because the saffron threads don't don't untwist because that's how they come. They're already kind of slightly twisted and um, That's how they arrive.
0: Okay, so you were just now in Vietnam, and uh, so we were going to talk about these spices that you found there. Um, I I haven't tasted any of them, so you need to start from scratch explaining to me about them, like starting with royal cinnamon. How is that different from cinnamon that we know?
2: Yeah, so in general, there are a few different types of cinnamon that we're familiar with. There's the Ceylon cinnamon, which is a little bit less sweet and more citrusy. It's, that's the type of cinnamon that you find in Mexican cuisine. Mm-hmm. Then there's the Cassia, which is sweeter and a little bit spicy. And there's a Vietnamese version of Cassia, and people argue over whether it's a distinct one or if it's an evolution or a sibling or whatever. But what we know as Saigon cinnamon um, is grown in, in Vietnam, and it's known for being especially sweet. And especially spicy, and this is the cinnamon that you want in your pastries and in your sweets, where you want that like strong and bright cinnamon flavor. And it's uh, and the it's spice be funny.
0: It's bark. Yeah.
2: So cinnamon is tree bark, right? And so these trees grow for 20 plus years. The more, the longer you let the tree grow, the more valuable the bark is. And we found the cinnamon in central Vietnam. Even though it's always called Saigon cinnamon, which is in the southern end of yeah. Vietnam, <laughs> no cinnamon grows around Saigon. It's just where it was exported from. So when it came to America, people were like, I guess it's Saigon cinnamon. That name kind of stuck. And so cinnamon is now grown in the north and in the center. And in the center was known for the highest quality cinnamon. And we found out from some of the cinnamon farmers there that parents will give their children a plot of, of land with cinnamon trees on it when they're around 9 to 12 years old. Really? And then the longer they can care for it, the more valuable the bark becomes. And they're planting new trees and all that because you have to take down the tree when you're ready to harvest the bark. But it's literally a savings account. And so if I can wait for it to grow to be 20 years instead of harvesting it at 10 years, um, it's going to be worth a lot more.
0: When uh, when you take the bark off of it, I mean, do you – Are you able to to take it off in such a way that you preserve the tree, or does that finish
2: the tree? No, so that ends up, they take down the trees to take the bark down, and Mm -hmm. so they take the bark off, and then the wood gets used for firewood, for furniture, for other projects like that. And actually, in some countries, the cinnamon tree leaves are also used as a bay leaf alternative. And so we have some of those from Zanzibar on our site, where the farmers were initially throwing them away, and we're like, no, 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 guys, hold on to these, dry them, pack them for us. And we be able to bring it in, and they're beautiful in a pot of rice, or really any. You know, I you tried that, and I didn't
0: notice anything special about it. You sent us some of those leaves, and I didn't well, notice the, that they, they were so wonderful.
2: Yeah. Well, next time try maybe try instead of one, try two leaves, or try more. Maybe we we'll we'll keep sending them to you until you fall in love with it. You know, you tell us.
0: <laughs> okay, moving on. Well, I have next is purple striped garlic
2: yeah so so there is a cooperative of farmers in northern Vietnam that grow this garlic, which is much smaller than the garlic that we're used to. Uh-huh. um The teeth are almost like the size of like uh the top of your pinky, you know um and in Vietnam, they kept asking us why garlic in America is so big and watery? <laughs> and we're like, we like what do you mean <laughs> well, and you mean garlic
0: and garlic doesn't have any flavor at all.
2: Right, right. And it's so often used in, in home cooking. And you're like, why am I even adding this? <laughs> like, what is it, what is it adding to my meal? Mm-hmm. And so this garlic is, is smaller. It's called purple stripe because there are purple stripes that run up the side of the, like the husk of the garlic, um, mm-hmm. on the, on the outside before the skin is peeled off. Mm-hmm. And it, and it smells like a roasted garlic. It, I feel like there are notes in there of like basil and lemongrass and it's just like it it's a garlic but it feels like a grown up garlic it smells like almost like walking around the streets of vietnam you get this like intense powerful spicy aroma of garlic but a, a bunch of other stuff mixed in there and we we fell in love with it because we wanted a garlic that was that that would represent what what garlic really should taste like even when it's dried and this one just knocks it out of the park Great.
0: okay next i have is buffalo ginger
2: yeah, so in the same group that grows the garlic, they also grow this ginger, and it's called buffalo ginger because it's like a kind of bigger, knobbier type of a ginger. Um, and again, I think garlic and ginger are two spices that people typically use fresh whenever they can, and mm-hmm. then use dry when they need to. Yeah. And so this ginger also is, is big and robust. This one's really sweet. Um, it's really fruity, and it's actually relatively spicy. I made a chai masala out of this, um, the other day, and, and oh my god, I burned my mouth. <laughs> out of the heat, really? um, but, it, but it's a really lively ginger, and in general, ginger can be used a lot as a as I just like to add it to stir fries, um, even the chilies, even into like, um, like to rubs for chicken, or things like that, just to kind of, it, it's almost like a beautiful background flavor, and a lot of things that just kind of kicks up the flavor and brings a little bit more life to them.
0: It's, it's a, a lifesaver if you've been food poisoned, if you put it in tea.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Of course, you know, since what I do. I mean, I've had many occasions with the food poison.
2: Oh, my God, you're too adventurous of an eater, I guess.
0: (laughs) So, anyhow, um, so you, you don't have the fresh. Is there any way of getting fresh buffalo ginger?
2: So, we, we've looked into what it would take to bring fresh spices, but the way that we work in this is that because our spices are shelf-stable, we can, like, bring them in, we can store them. We don't have to worry about this whole crazy supply chain that, that like, produce farmers, you know, and grocery stores have to think about all the time, which is what's the temperature, when was it picked, what's the humidity, what's the this. One. By the time they're dried, they're shelf-stable, they're good for years, you know, without really decreasing in quality, and so that that's the business that we're able to to move and to bring all these things in from all around the world once you start bringing in fresh fresh things that I leave that to some to some of the grocery experts that that know a lot more about that than I do
0: now I I read a piece um, I forget where it was it was in some magazine I think probably food magazine um, about peppercorns and well, it was so interesting I mean, they're very mysterious, these peppercorns. And you're talking about in Vietnam, you've got purple ones?
2: Yeah, so Vietnam is now the largest producer of peppercorns in the world. Um, in general, peppercorns, something we just grind over our food all day long without putting too much thought into it. And what's actually really interesting is that peppercorns grow off of plants that are vines. They're climbing vines. And yeah. the peppercorns come in bunches, like grapes. And so. What's, and they have other similarities to grapes too in that, you know, when they, when they come on the vine, the outside of it, the black skin of the peppercorn is like the, the, like a raisin, right? And so inside there's this white, white pit and that's where all the heat comes from. On the outside, the crinkly skin is the dried fruit. And peppercorns, when they're on the vine, they start as green, which is where they're usually picked because that's when they're the hardiest and it's the quickest to pick them that way and it's the easiest and they're not going to spoil. But some really skilled farmers, from green they turn yellow and then orange and then red and then it's like dark purple and that's when you get just a a, a purely ripe fruit and so these purple peppercorns we brought it from vietnam we found these two farmers that that are these young guys one is in his like mid 20s one is in his early 30s and they're in an area that they grow just kind of conventional non-organic peppercorns just moving by weight and these two became friends over going to some organic farming conventions and they said you know what Let's start an organic peppercorn farm together. And while most people grow these peppercorns on, like, stacks of concrete blocks, these guys have planted trees. And so the peppercorn oh. vines climb up the trees. Um, instead of using fertilizers and all that, they, they're running chickens and, and, and turkeys and ducks and all that Jeez. stuff just around around the ground to kind of naturally fertilize. Um, and then when they're, when they're picking them, they're waiting for them to fully ripen, which is really tricky because peppercorns ripen a different – so one vine of peppercorns can have half-ripe and half-unripe peppercorns. And so they're very carefully picking these peppercorns um, and then sorting them and all that. And so what the flavor ends up being is that you have this really clean, beautiful heat. But when you smell it, it smells fruity. It smells like a plum. It smells like a – it's got this, like, extra dimension to it. And it's, it's so cool to take a peppercorn, which is something that is often kind of a throwaway spice. So you just put on stuff without thinking too much about it and turning it into, like, a star flavor ingredient um these, this is definitely this is definitely uh, uh an, a really fun way to kind of kick up even simple dishes,
0: yeah I mean I thought the harvesting of it would be major major operation with all these different colors
1: yeah we
2: went we went and picked peppercorns with them for half a day and even stayed on the farm with them um Did you and really? and we broke their ladder. We we were climbing up this ladder. and We said, "Hey, this is a little dinky. Are you sure this is okay?" And guess, like, yeah, this holds four people. And what they should have said is, "This holds four Vietnamese-sized people." And the ladder buckled under our Western weight. <laughs> so, oh, that's funny. So that was the end of the harvest for that day. Was was when when the foreigners came in and broke their ladder. <laughs> Did you
0: buy the new ladder? <laughs>
2: we offered to go and buy to go with them, and all this and that. They were just happy that, that they didn't send us to the hospital. <laughs> But but we did end up buying their first kind of lot of peppercorns. We set them up to be their own exporters. We we really kind of came through on on. this is our favorite thing to do with the business is find farmers that are being really thoughtful and are doing an exceptional job growing these peppercorns but normally wouldn't have an audience kind of outside of the people coming by to buy from the commodity market and all that. And so we instead bought it from them, sent it to the seaport, loaded it on a boat, and now we have our first batch of purple peppercorns here on our site.
0: See, no, I mean you, your mission in all this is really way beyond just uh, acquiring spices for resale, right?
2: Yeah, 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 and I think that's we we want to try. We believe that if we can find a way to support the livelihood of the farmers and to help them grow, then we will able to get we will be able to get incredibly high quality and fresh spices. So, by most of the buyers go to the farm and say, "What's the least that we can possibly pay you?" And we go to the farmer and say, what's the thing that you think that you grow that's the best? What are you the most excited about? What would you love to keep growing? (laughs) And the farmers point us to these exceptional spices. And because we pay them directly, we kind of cut out all these intermediaries that normally kind of mix good and bad lots together, time passes, quality goes down and price goes up. We can just put all of that towards the farmers. And we also try to find other ways to do new, new lines of revenue. So maybe they're not cleaning enough. Maybe they're not sorting enough. Maybe they could do an extra grinding step. Like, how else can we do so that they don't instead sell this, like, basically just the spice by themselves? How do we make sure we can pay them the top, top, top price we can possibly pay them? And that's been a really fun and interesting exercise to work with the farmers on on kind of building this livelihood.
1: Now, Ori, I'm not sure. I hope I'm on the right track here. But but one, one one of the jars you sent us, it's called brisket pepper. Is that is that yours?
2: Well, no, yeah. I I don't know. I we maybe send you Urfa pepper or maybe Silk chili. No, um, you
1: know, s- something that's on the it's on, it's on the jar and it says calls it brisket pepper. Yeah, brisket. And I and, I and I I use it I use it to make burgers taste more interesting. Yeah,
2: but yeah. Maybe, so maybe, it's, maybe, that, like, maybe it's
1: maybe it's not you. Maybe that's not yours. I
2: don't
1: know. It looks I, like it.
2: Yeah, sounds great. I'll, we'll start carrying <laughs> it. You <laughs> it.
0: Hey, did I but miss one a, of these, by the way? I thought you said there were five,
2: and I only have four. Oh, so yeah, so the one so the one extra one is our true star anise. Um, the the So most true of the world's star. star anise grows on the northern Vietnamese-southern Chinese border, where those two countries meet. And that's where these trees grow this crazy star-shaped, you know, spice, and it's a critical spice for pho. It's one of the five spices in the Chinese five-spice blend. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, it's such an interesting flavor because you get kind of sweet and tart and savory. And I don't know, I have a, a jar of it here. It's like mentholy and licorice, and it's just so much comes out of this one spice that it's it, it always so blows I me get away. Spell that. Star, S T yeah. A R, A N I S E. Yeah, we, a, we and
0: these, a star.
2: Yeah, I mean, you, a,
1: we a star we have it. It's not it's not from Vietnam, I don't think, but I don't know. we do have some somewhere. Uh, yeah,
2: so that's a, what that's what we were able to to bring in from this in in northern Vietnam. And again, we met a bunch of different farmers there, and most of the farmers we said, "Hey, we love what you're doing, but it needs to be cleaned a little bit better. It needs to be sorted a little bit better, and we're willing to pay you a lot more for that. Are you willing to do it?" And most of the farmers were like, "No, thank you." I like my business the way it is. I, really I like- sell my spice as it is, and that's that, and that's totally fine, totally they're right. But then we met these two cousins that were growing their own star anise, and they built this beautiful, clean facility for drying it. Um, and then they started buying from their neighbors, and, and they became the drying facility for the whole kind of town of, of growers in that area. And we said we love what you're doing. We tasted it; it was so good. And we said, "Can you help us out? We just need it to be sorted and clean." And they said, "Absolutely! By when do you need it? We can have it ready in forty-eight hours." And we were like, "These are our gals. <laughs> These are the ones oh, that are going to be able to work with us." And so we just brought in our second harvest from there. There's a summer harvest and a winter harvest. Right now we have the summer harvest in because in the summer you get you get bigger, juicier fruits that come off the trees. And in the winter, because it's a little bit colder, normally they dry it in the sun. Because it's colder in the winter, they smoke it first to get it like two-thirds of the way towards being dry. Yeah. And then they dry it in the sun the rest of the way. So the winter one ends up being smokier and a little bit smaller fruits and a little more savory. And so every six months, we bring in whatever the, the latest batches. We bring it in, and it's it's really just a powerful spice that can do a lot. A little bit goes a long way.
0: Well, I'll tell you. I mean, every day is an adventure in, in your business now. And you said you're off for India, so when can we talk to you about what you find there?
2: Yeah, so we're at the end of February. We're, we're heading to India for three weeks. Um, one is we want to set up time to meet It's a turmeric harvest, and we have our turmeric f- partner farmers there.
1: Oh, so wow. we want to go
2: visit their farms and meet with them and see how they harvest the turmeric, which by itself is a really interesting spice because these are two single-estate farms that primarily grow sugarcane, and sugarcane... Where you get sugar from, of course, is, is, takes a lot of water. And turmeric being the rhizome, being like a network of, of roots. Um, and again, I'm, I, every time I say something that's not technical, I feel like people are gonna, are gonna send me hate mail.
1: (laughs) Turmeric is technically a
2: rhizome. It looks like a root. Um, but because it's like that, it holds water in the soil really well. So they started planting this turmeric in the soil in order to, to hold water in the soil and reduce their water needs and become a more efficient farm. And they did that, but they also produced this exceptionally buttery, exceptionally sweet turmeric that, that, that has just been really, really wonderful. Cool. So we want to meet them. We're going to visit some mango farmers that are growing amchur. We're going to visit some black cardamom farmers and also some folks growing some chilies and peppercorns and kind of see what else we come along with along the way. Wow.
0: <laughs> oh, I think it sounds so exciting. Um, yeah, well, I mean, this is going to be an ongoing part of our show, by the way, because you have an ongoing drama every, every month, <laughs> just about.
2: That. We so, love it. You should come with us on a spice sourcing trip. Oh, I know. <laughs> Join us for a few days in India. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. Um, India, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but, yeah, so, you'll I'll be in touch, and I'll find out what you came up with. And uh, I'm, I'm worried that you're, you're going to be really overextended because you've gotten so much publicity in all these magazines.
2: I think it's been really, really exciting, the idea that, like, you know, people are starting to think about their spices in a different way. And we, we think about it also in a way, like, on one hand, you're supporting the livelihood of these farmers. On the other hand... You know, like, it's like we've all had that farmer's market apple where we were like, I know what grocery store apples taste like that have been in cold storage for a year. And then you take a bite out of that farmer's market and you're like, oh, right, this is what it should taste like. And so we've been really excited that that folks have been thinking about their spices in a different way and not just saying these are just colorful powders in my pantry, but, like, these are actually, they come from plants and nuts and seeds and trees and all that and, and doing that. And we've been able to... We've been pushing ourselves, and we've been able to kind of keep up with with demand and get our spices in more and more hands of home cooks. But it's really exciting to have our two person company, and you know, hopefully, we won't be two person forever. So it's it's with all the press, it's been really we've been really fortunate, and this is pushing us to to figure out how we grow in a sustainable way that supports our farmers, that helps set expectations for them on how much to grow, because most spices are only one or two harvests a year. And so we need to really, you know, be aligned with the harvest and kind of guess on how much we're going to make. And then number two is about us just trying to figure out how to grow as a company and do it in a way that we can, you know, get more spices out to more people, which we're so, so excited about.
0: Yeah, well, you're the business person, I understand. So I'm glad to meet you and talk to you. Hello to Ethan. Enjoy your trip to India. And, uh, yeah, don't get too dazzled there because that's that's where you go for spices, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's just a little bit of eat, pray, love, you know, for for (laughs) Burlap and Barrel. (laughs) But but you guys can find us on burlapandbarrel.com or on Instagram at at burlapandbarrel. Whenever we're on a sourcing trip, we share a lot of photos from what's going on. So if you want to follow along, Instagram is the best place to do it. And on our site, we have 45 different spices for folks to check out, and, and we'd love to hear what you think and, and get some spices over to, to your listeners. I, I appreciate
0: that also, the, the information you just gave. And, and I was going to ask for it, but you, you explained it so that people will know exactly how to get to it mean, right directly. And I, I think that that's it. The Instagram is great. Um, Burlap and barrel. Um, Ori, Zohar. And, Ethan, thank you both, and uh, thank you, for listeners, for trying to upgrade your whole spice concept, because that's what this is about. Thanks, Lori. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah.
1: Bye-bye. We'll be back with more spicy information right after the break, so don't go away.
3: Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station. www.aspstation.net.
0: Next up, welcome back, by the way. Um, we're going to be talking to Jim chance who is the Serious Foodie, or a Serious Foodie, and his company is called The Serious Foodie, and he's making these wonderful hot sauces with a global perspective. So um, it's and good he, stuff. And he's,
1: and he's serious about it, hence the, serious. hence the name of his company.
0: Here we go, we're starting. The, we, we have so much to talk about, we can't, <laughs> we can't on the uh, interview uh, yet we're talking to jim pachance pachance and his company is the serious foodie and we're going to find out why it's called that how it got started um but we were asking you 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 are now in florida but you were originally from the, the northeast um that you yeah, moved that's correct you, you moved your whole company and operation to florida
3: that's right. Actually, um, we moved to Florida before we started Serious Foodie. Um, I've been a, a career entrepreneur and started several companies in uh, in New Jersey, um, and then we uh, saw the errors of our ways and decided to move to Florida. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you you got this idea because you were. Um Serious travelers, right? That's correct.
3: Yeah, we, um, it turned out that my whole family is, uh, are serious foodies. Uh, every time that we go on vacation or go to a new city, the first thing we do is scope out the food. Um, right. and, you know, we'd get together and like the first topic of conversation is always
1: about food. Yeah. Um, and Sounds familiar. Uh, <laughs>
3: Uh, yeah yeah uh, I, I grew me, up
1: in the, come on, sir. let me tell let me tell you a tampa food story that i sure. won't even remember uh, we 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 drove into somewhere in the tampa florida area late one evening and we were looking for a place to go eat and the biggest ad in the yellow pages was burn steakhouse mm. it said it was one yeah. of the best Steakhouses in the country, so I called them on the phone and I said, "Is this true?" And they said, "Well, the only way you're going to find out is if you come on over." So we did.
4: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, See yeah.
1: yeah. This, is, this is the place where the, the the wine list is like War and Peace in paperback.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. well, the Manhattan phone cool. book is more like it.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's an it's an awesome place. It's still there. Still going it's strong. Owned by this. Yeah, owned by the same family. It's very inspirational too. I mean, those folks do a lot for the community, uh, mm-hmm. so we're uh, we we like them a lot.
0: Well, that's great. Um, now, so you were traveling all over the globe, and and you got this inspiration um, to actually bring some of that cultural. Um, As you know, uh, the
3: country of New Zealand a very small and integrated place, so it seems like everybody knows everybody. So right. we, we, got, we got to chat with Peter. In fact, he introduced us to a few more folks, some of his purveyors, and talked a little bit about you know the influences of the food culture in New Zealand, which was fascinating. And this is before serious food even became something uh we had uh we had been down there almost over 10 years ago now for the first time and um uh, yeah you so, did, so we enjoyed theater happen, and this
1: food you didn't happen to meet a bartender called molly smith did you
3: no i can't no i don't i don't remember if if i did molly, and, molly,
1: <laughs> molly smith did you just happens she's our great nephew i mean our great niece uh. and for, <laughs> for some reason she's tending bar in New Zealand, and we don't really know why that was her choice of Korea, but she's still there and she loves it just like just like you do oh. oh
3: yeah, 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 I think there was a a little bit of pull for us too. It's hard to actually go back to the state
0: well, now, why don't you um you told us how you got into this business, and uh I mean, how did you catch up you never were in the food business before were you? That's correct. I actually come out of
3: the biotech industry. Um, I, I have been an entrepreneur now for over 30 years, starting companies, uh, um, primarily in New Jersey. Um, and, and saw, um, you know, we were, we were very fortunate. We saw the growth of biotech in the uh, you know, Northeast corridor, but, um, as I was getting older, I, I, I just had this passion of wanting to get involved with something that was a, a little bit more community-oriented, something that went to the heart and soul of other people's passion and, and what greater thing than food. I mean, food is, food is our common language. I mean, you could not know the language of some culture and actually, you know... <laughs> Get along with people if you know how to uh, connect through food. So that's, that was that was a driving factor for us to start serious foodie is family, travel, and community.
1: That's great. So so have you been? Have you been in Peru? I mean, have, have, have yes. you been in? Yes. Have, have you held. been in? Where where are the other places where your sources are home? You must have been in Mexico. That's easy, right?
3: Yeah, that's easy
0: um Turkey, awesome, Lima, amazing, yeah. Huh? Peru. Oh, I tell you, I, I
3: Peru's one of those amazing places that um you know, created fusion food before it was even a thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um and and we adored the people we adore the food culture, learning about the ingredients. Boy, talking about crazy oh, yeah. ingredients. <laughs> I mean, 4,000 varieties of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, this woman wrote this book about, um, it was it a woman or a man we interviewed, um, could trace the, the development of the world through the potato. <laughs> oh, right, right, yeah. right, right. It's a history book, kind of, sort of. But um, yeah, no, we went to the potato museum and and um I saw That was amazing.
1: So mm. no, yeah, we missed
0: we missed that one. <laughs> yeah, well they're, you know, I mean they're
1: just you, you, so really you to be really, you have to be really dedicated to expanding your knowledge base <laughs> to to spend <laughs> half a day talking about potatoes at a potato museum. <laughs> but, 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 but some but some of the who is your friend, Lovie? The the Japanese guy.
0: Oh yeah, that was, God, I can't remember now.
1: Miko, I think wasn't it Miko? Niko. Niko. And, yeah. And he had he had a one he had a wonderful restaurant. But funnily enough, how, how he got into the restaurant business is, he told his father he wanted to be a chef. His father, being Japanese, said, "Only if you go to Japan. If you go to Japan for however long, when you come back, I'll support you." And he and, he's, and his restaurant he owns is now about
0: five restaurants now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. His, his main restaurant is one of the world's top fifty. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. So wow. It, there's That's so many fabulous.
0: talented chefs there. I mean, it's so many. Oh, and just the culture. But it is. We we went on a media tour, and uh, it was the, the American to do best restaurants, media tour, and. Uh, and they took us to all these places. So, you know, so we went to that funny Chinese place. Um, what do you call it, the Chinese Peruvian style? No, guy? I can't remember. Um, but it was <laughs> it was the most bizarre experience I think I've ever had. <laughs> it was world famous, but he he only would let you eat there if he liked it. <laughs> oh, that's
3: hysterical! <laughs> I, mean, it was I mean, hysterical.
0: The- so, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Tony Bourdain made him famous, and so you couldn't get into the, the place.
1: Well, we, we got, oh, we got yeah. in.
0: We got, we in, got in because in the we per- were with
1: it. The, the Peruvian Tourist Bureau made sure we got in. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Pro Chile. We, yeah. we went to a food show that was all along the beach. Oh, this was Isn't wonderful. Liva what's it called? Like, I, I don't remember now what it's called. but. It, it, Mistura. Miss Dora. Miss All along, all along the beach, at the base of the cliffs, were Oh, all that set sounds, up
0: and It was incredible. Uh, I mean, there were whole like sections that, devoted uh, to, to uh, iconic cooking styles yeah. or dishes or ingredients. You know, by a lot of them um, down at the at the basic. Level home um, cook level even uh, it was really well amazing.
3: well I tell you that's something that I would adore to uh, participate in someday I'll have to put that on my bucket list and hopefully COVID will pass sometime yeah, soon uh, yeah. uh, what, we what all is, can get is, there
1: one of these days for sure within the next five at least
3: <laughs> well yeah hopefully <laughs> wait, my friends still in the biotech industry
1: will help us there no <laughs> no yeah. why why. Rubs and marinades and sauces. Why, why all three?
3: Uh, yeah. Um, well, the sauces and marinades I would put into like one category. There's okay. hardly any differentiation between those. Sometimes, you know, things are a little bit thicker for using on the grill than uh, than others. But you know, everywhere in the world they're used interchangeably. So. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, we found that if you if you take broadly uh, sauces and spice rubs, you could cover most styles of cooking that we saw. Um, there's there's a little subcategory which we are just introducing um, this quarter, which is spicy condiments. So not hot sauces, we do not want to be in the hot sauce business, okay. but spicy condiments. So, Think in terms of uh, sambal from uh, Southeast Asia or uh, Calabrian chili relish from the south of Italy. Um, Uh And these are very regionally associated type of foods that are integral to these places. So we feel like, you know, even though we've shied away from the the heavily hot Products, mm-hmm. but I think that there's there's good reason to bring them into play because they're again they're very important. Now, um,
0: so explain yes, this process. I mean, like, so you 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 pick a, a region because it's been particularly interesting as a with food and flavor, and you have all these chefs working for you. Uh, so. Right. What what is the process? Do you say um, I I want the, the sauce from um, where Mexico Tlaln? Say we want a sauce from now Yucatan, and and then do they kind of research what are standout flavors and how does it develop?
3: Uh, So, our process is actually a little bit backwards, so we will first get curious about the region itself, Um, so uh, I'm trying to pick, okay, so southern Italy, Um, so you you look at southern Italy, because my my heritage is Italian-American, and I was always curious about the food from different Italian regions. So we did a little further deep dive into um, what actually goes on in southern Italy, where these flavors came from, why certain parts eat like super hot food and others are much more subtle. This is all within like southern Italy. And so it really has a lot to do with uh, with two things, the movement on the spice trail and where ships you know, came mm-hmm. to dock. And then the second part of it is um, uh, the uh, conquering tribes through all that area, you know, who, who was their last to give us strong influence. So not surprisingly, the southwestern part of Sicily is heavily influenced by Moroccan cooking, yeah. whereas the northeast corner... Tends to be actually a little bit more subtle and more Venetian in its cuisine, only because yeah. that's sort of like the first stop on, you know, on the way up to Venice to drop off the spices.
0: So yeah, I see I, this I mean, is a great example of, of tracing. I mean, I mean, uh, Lima is a good example, but so is Sicily, because mm-hmm. uh, they're both corridor countries. So you get all these yes. different influences. Yeah, I know my background is Sicilian, so I mean I know those flavors, but if you go to Sicily, uh, it varies region to region. I mean the big variations Mm -hmm. between the east of of, of the northeast of Sicily and uh, the west coast. Yes, yes, very
3: much so, and it, it
0: sort of starts
3: making some sense then if you if you look at the food and. And then look at you know uh you know who were the who were the conquerors in that particular region It's kind of fun i mean you, you well, there so many it, of them get. in
0: most yeah in these <laughs> countries there were so many yeah, of them right. and you, you right. get into yeah. some of this stuff with the um the the, the um say the uh, the islands that have had the, i mean they could be next door to each other but that uh, have different cultures. In um, and, and mm. control from you know, one time to the next. Sweetheart. Yeah, in why don't different we languages, that? too. Why
1: don't, why, why don't we talk about the two that we that we used and then finish up with the pomegranate one, which we haven't tried yet.
0: Oh, we haven't done the no, pomegranate no, yet. The first,
1: the first one we tried was the Peruvian. Yeah. Mm. We yes. put and that on show, salmon. And essentially, I, I, cooked yeah. my, I half-cooked the salmon I took the skin off, that left the uh, the surface, just under the surface, fat still there. And then I painted that side with with your sauce. And I think I cooked it for like four minutes so that it was just starting to go really brown. But there was the subtlety that you talk about in all your spices was still there. Nice. Now the next, now the next uh, thing we tried was mole on steak. Oh, that was good too. And that was good also. But talk us through the pomegranate one.
3: Okay. So let's do the pomegranate first. Now the pomegranate is a um, a direct outgrowth of our interest in Turkey and we call it mediterranean pomegranate because we were, we felt that calling it that turkish pomegranate sauce may either put people off or they wouldn't understand <laughs> much about where it's uh, it's coming from um got it, got it so so as it turns out um, if you uh, if you travel to turkey particularly istanbul um, you you find out that um, the uh, the flavors and the and the taste are heavily towards this pomegranate sauce that comes that comes from pomegranate molasses primarily. So we really wanted to duplicate that that particular flavor, that particular taste, and so we um, we found that. In the United States, we can get most of the ingredients that we wanted that would duplicate those tastes. And, and incidentally, we were heavily influenced by this chef there called Musa. and I'm not going to pronounce his last name, M-U-F-A is his first name. He's a very famous guy there. Um, he's got a great restaurant, and he's also on the Netflix series Chef's Table. And what's so inspiring about this guy is that he investigated the different regions of Turkey. And what he says is, I think there's six or seven major regions of Turkey that are influenced by ancient cultures and religions. So what he did in his restaurant, in order to bring community together, he started to cook in those different styles. And so he was getting all sorts of cross-culture, cross-religious type of people coming in and tasting his food and and getting curious about what the other side was like. So this is a great example on how food can really bring people together. Very, um, we're just constantly inspired by this man. So anyway, I wanted to bring here to the United States something that was relatively simple. And the pomegranate sauce is a grill sauce. So you can use it like any grill sauce that you can pull off the shelf anywhere, except it's got this underlying great set of flavors from the pomegranate and something called the Urfa pepper, U-R-F-A. And um, that's a regional specialty pepper. Um, It's deep, dark red, uh, dried, and ground up into a powder. Um, And it's got this, it's a citrusy type of subtle heat. It's not real hot, but it really does bring um, the essence of that community into the product. Uh, Without it, we tried it with and without Say, hey, do we really need this exotic uh, ingredient that cost us a lot of money? And the answer is absolutely yes. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. sort of like... Taking, um, you know, Worcestershire sauce out of your favorite, um, you know, turkey gravy—it just doesn't <laughs> work the same way. Yeah. You know? So it's you know, we find these ingredients in different places, and they're, they're almost become the essence of what that region is about. That's one of them—the Urfa pepper.
1: Okay. Well, we'll have to we'll have to pick something to put that on. Right.
3: It, it works on anything. So, <laughs> that, yeah, In that region, they often use it on poultry and lamb. Those are the okay. two primary things. But um, it is a, vegeta- uh, um, a vegetarian-based sauce. So for okay. the vegetarians out there, they can put it on things like uh, a grilled uh, zucchini and grilled eggplant. It's really delicious on grilled eggplant. So it, it really does work on anything. Now, what now how
0: work? many total number do you have of these um, concoctions?
3: <laughs> well, right now, um we have uh eleven sauces and nine spice rubs and we're about ready to introduce these five spicy flavors. Um and uh, they're they're all fun, boy. We we've just had a great time exploring these Regions and coming up with the ingredients. So what are they? Can this.
0: you say What is the I upcoming? can because uh,
3: because they're uh, they're going to be posted up on Amazon probably by next week. Um, and uh, we've got a Calabrian uh, pepper relish. We have okay. a, a Brazilian yeah. smoky jalapeno sauce. Okay. Uh, we have a Sri Lanka Coconut lime sauce,
4: uh,
3: an Indonesian sambal, and a Vietnamese hot sauce. Um, And and the Vietnamese hot sauce is a very traditional sauce that has, uh, you know, just a few ingredients. It's very clean, very interesting, and uh, we're excited about that. So we have no. friends here in the Tampa Bay area that helped us with that.
0: We're not going to run out of some ideas for this, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, for sure. How about your, your, uh, you could order these right off your web page, right? You're in thousands of stores, though, aren't you? Uh,
3: yes, we've actually um, – COVID actually hit us hard as far as – our our retail partnerships um you know the 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 specialty grocery stores during covid focused so much on the staples that specialty foods in general have had a tough time at the grocery level Uh so you know you might find us there in pittsburgh but you might not Uh um And, and in fact, one of the things that we're learning is that our story is better told online anyway through social media. I I
0: believe that that's a trend that's not going to disappear with COVID. I mean, I I think people have become really, (laughs) really uh, (laughs) invested in online ordering and home delivery. And, uh, you know, I mean, we've been helping a lot of companies make that switch over to markets because, I mean, it, yeah.
3: that's exactly what you had to do. So, Yeah, we found the same thing, and, and we found that it's very important for us to tell our story to people because it's such an unusual one. We don't know anybody else that does the kind of research that we do to get into a product. Um, so we, we feel that, that that's one thing that resonates well with the consumers that, um, that we work with is boy, they really do want to get connected with food and culture and try to understand people in a broader way. So. Well,
1: now the other, the um, other thing that's really cool is is that is the, your your products are they're not they're not just blazing hot. It's, it's, it's not like yes. how many scuba how many units can I stand on my food? Yeah. Not 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 that yeah. at all. There's a, there's infinite yeah. subtlety behind. Each each of the ones that we that we've tried, and uh, we haven't we haven't done too many rubs yet because I, I don't do a lot of I don't do a lot of rubbing, but I need but I need uh, to start doing that. Yeah,
3: so uh, let me make two comments. Uh, first is about hot sauces, and even though I've got very close friends in that business, very a very uh, uh, a, a business coach of mine said. You know, Jim, look in your fridge. Tell me how many hot sauces you have. We exactly. have about a dozen. And and how, how much is in each bottle? And I said, well, they're almost all full. Yeah. You know what? That's not such a
1: good business to be in. <laughs> well, we have, we have a we have a well, sure. of the, the must, it, must, it Must have about eight different samples in it right now, and we're yeah, we're I'm trying not. to we're trying to figure out who to inflict them on. Uh. So we're not giving any of yours away, I can assure you. <laughs> oh,
3: good. Well, that's very kind of you. It's very sweet. Um, let, let me speak to the spice rubs for a second, because we find out a lot of people, there's a misconception about spice rubs. A lot of people think sure, go ahead. in terms of um, American grilling style, which is, okay, if you want to you know, dry rub marinate something, you put, put some dry rub around the meat, put it in the fridge overnight and that's it when in fact the rest of the world uses those in a very different way so for example uh, the West African rub comes out of um, actually a cousin of my wife spent a lot of time in West Africa and and he was describing the food He said, the food is often cooked in stew style and then at the end they take this this uh, bowl of spices and put it into their sauce. I said, well, that's curious. And we learned a lot more about the cooking styles of West Africa by doing a deeper dive and found out that whole region does basically the same thing. Instead of just salt, they use a spice rub blend. So as it turns out, a lot of the rest of the world does the same thing. It's just that they'll they'll use that group of spices. It's almost like a finishing salt. Um, Got it.
1: Okay. All right. So, so they don't really rock rock rub it. Cooking. So you're not really mm-hmm. rubbing at all. You're seasoning. Yeah.
3: yeah. And and it's almost like we need to change that a little bit. They're calling spice rubs. It's almost a seasoning blend that are are. That's what the regions are, there, there, there's uh, are a, there's using. There's a
1: book. There's a book you ought to you ought to buy. I think all about the cooking of Senegal, which is in West Africa. Ooh.
3: Yes. Yeah. Right. If exactly.
1: If if, 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 you, if you can't find it on Amazon, just just get in touch with us and we'll look up, we'll look up the exact title. But the, the, well, the I'll, chef, I'll the do some are investigation. Really, the chef's a really interesting guy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was good.
0: Well, listen. We could talk obviously for a long time because I can see we kind of are <laughs> in the same zone here. <laughs> uh, but I want to encourage people to go to your website and and read the material because that in itself is is enticing, and uh, and order some of these to try to spice up your cooking. I mean, to make it livelier, not harder. So, um, Jim, um, the serious foodie. Thank you very much for talking to
3: us. Sure. Now it's and I it, uh, just want to remind everybody it's serious-foodie.com, F-O-O-D-I-E, and you can also find us on Amazon. So thank Great. you too very much. Appreciated the time spent uh, talking about one of my passions in life.
0: <laughs> oh, you don't really care about food. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> 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 All right, Jim. Uh, thank you. Bye, bye. Ann
3: and Peter, it was a, it was a delight. Thank you so much.
0: Finally, we're going to be talking to Brandon Clark of Clark and Hopkins, um, who also does artisanal pepper sauces and Bloody Mary mixes, uh, with a global emphasis. But um, their concept is packaging the unique flavor profiles of each region in a, a jar of the sauces. Um, talk, listen, as we talked to Brandon Clark. Well, we're talking to Brandon Clark of Clark Plus Hopkins. Uh, congratulations, Brandon, on your Gold Sophie Award. Um, yeah, thank you so
4: much. We're super I mean, that's excited.
0: out of like, what is it, 1,800 applicants or something
4: for this Sophie award? Yeah, there were yeah there were quite a few. Um, yeah, so we're super excited about that. And then um, last year, we won the Sophie for Best New Hot Sauce for 2019 with our Assam, which is a sauce from Northeast India.
1: Right, right, right. Well, you they can northeast like. You got South India too, right? You're, you're yeah, yeah, and then this, yeah this year is Laos.
0: Eyes. Yeah. Would you believe Peter? Peter made a drink with your Laos?
1: <laughs> That's you know, It was good. He said. What was it? I, I just I just sprinkled a couple of drops in a, in a in a glass with some vodka in it. <laughs> sort, of like, sort of like a poor man's
4: Bloody Mary. <laughs> you know what? now you're the you're the second person to do that. My wife and I um actually made a dirty martini with the louse because it has uh dried shrimp, lemongrass, uh ginger, um, uh-huh. and it was really good as a dirty martini. Yeah, yeah I like good. dirty martinis. Yeah. Especially yeah. if I sprinkle some Lefroy on the st- on the top of it.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll afford- I would call him more like a dirty, like a dirty Bloody Mary. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: let's we go back to guys, the you. beginning of, of, yeah. of Clark and Hopkins. you were a
4: chef. Uh, but yeah. you
0: also were big on traveling, Right.
4: Yes, absolutely. So I haven't been to all of the locations, but I have been to several. Um, we did a trip to uh, Tulum, um, and we named that stuff Quintana Roo. And um, <laughs> a few months later, I went to Oaxaca City, uh, which is basically the gastro-historical hub of Mexico, and it was fabulous. Yes. I don't... We haven't been anywhere for a while, I have to say. <laughs> Hey, I haven't either. I haven't either. you got to pivot and stay home and do
1: what you can.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, it's funny. We talked
1: we talk, we talk to someone a couple of weeks ago who grew up in Kerala, which is the okay. home of another of your sources.
4: Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so the story of um, Kerala is, so um, I used to bring hot sauces to the tennis courts, uh, rant, you know, things that I would make at home. And one of my friends, Rajesh, is from Kerala, and I said, you know, what is your hot sauce like? You know, that's one of the spiciest regions of India. And he said, we don't have one. So I went home and studied his cuisine, put it in a bottle, and brought it to him to the courts. And he said, this tastes like home.
1: So then
4: I started looking to other countries and regions around the world. So Ethiopia, inherently spicy region. Um, does not have a hot sauce, so I emulated their cuisine in a bottle, and it just kind of took off from there. And uh, we found out later um, that we're the only company in the wor- hot sauce company in the world that's actually doing this. Um, yeah, you
0: say that food. you're the only one that explores the global uh, flavors and put in, embodies it. the hot. Right. You, you do artisan pepper sauces and Bloody Mary mixes, and uh, but it's the it, it's the global aspect that's so interesting about it. Yeah, I mean, we'll you're hitting you two after. of the biggest trends. So you're hitting on um, the the hot sauce trend, which is, you know, like exploding, that specialty yeah. food category, and also um, the global flavors. So you have two of them combined in one product. So no wonder you got a gold Sophie. <laughs>
4: Yeah we're, yeah, we're super excited about that. There are some companies out there, you know, that may do their own country. Um, I, I know a, a maker that does a Cambodian hot sauce, and it's fabulous, and there's a lot of folks out there like that, but I have not seen any that are doing multiple countries and regions. Right, exactly. Um, so we, we got lucky there. Yeah. not so explain the
0: name, the name here, Clark plus uh, Hopkins.
4: Yeah, so I am Brandon Clark, and Don Hopkins is my business partner, and um, he's actually the VP of a plastic injection mold company, and uh, he is pretty busy during the week, but uh, super supportive at night and on the weekends and and when he can. Um, I think he would love to retire and, and join me full time, that's for sure. So you met up with
0: him and realized you could put together a company.
4: Yes, so he was one of the guys on the tennis court. You know, Don. Uh-huh. Like, I think we have, I think we have something here. Let's do this, and that's how it happened, literally on the tennis courts of Northern Virginia. Oh, good, Northern Virginia
1: tennis. We're tennis buffs too. And that, that's where that's where you are, well. Brandon. What's that? What? Northern Virginia is where you inhabit.
4: Yes, we are uh, in Winchester, about an hour west of D.C.
0: Oh, sure, sure, I know Winchester. Yeah, we used to live in D.C., you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, 36th place northwest. <laughs> I couldn't afford to go wow. back there. <laughs> how long were you all there?
4: How long um, were you all there?
1: About a year and a half altogether. Yeah. Okay. We moved around yeah, quite DC, a lot.
4: Yeah, uh, we moved yeah, D.C. really went through a renaissance of amazing restaurants, um, as, as you sure. all know. Like I guess the past decade or so, it's you know, uh, chefs from New York were flying down here to check out like, right. what was opening next and this and that. Um, I saw the photo of you guys and Charlie Palmer.
0: Um, oh, really? I, I think a
4: lot of them. He's a, an amazing chef.
0: He's, he's an amazing
4: person altogether. Yes he is so, I've heard that i I, I've taught, I know a guy that that used to work with him years ago at his place in d c and uh he said he learned so much from him
0: oh he's he's an
4: amazing person
0: yeah um it, well chef, chefs are interesting people, but it's um it it's all it's all sort of changed now the whole food scene the restaurant scene I don't think it will ever be the same. Um, yeah, I don't think about, it
4: will. And you know, I listen to uh, podcasts just to keep my you know finger on the pulse. And you know, I listen to David Chang, um, and then I also listen to Tom Colicchio's. And it, it's hard, it's hard to listen to, to some mm-hmm. of the information they're putting out. Yeah, I'd like to,
0: I'd like to read David's um, memoir uh, that just came out. It's called yeah. Eat a Peach. Eat a Peach. I yes, put in I a am, media I request a gigantic, for
4: that fan, so I am definitely going to get the book. I take it you are, too.
0: Well, we've known him since he was starting out. In fact, um, it, 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 he
1: really does have a temper. <laughs> he does. Uh, we, we've, we've, we've
4: He's worked on him. it
1: now. We've, we've known him since the foundation of the David Chang Memorial, James Beard. <laughs> award. Is
4: that
0: right? <laughs> we we make well,
1: that up because he was winning every every single year. It was really funny. We, we, were in, we were in the press room at the at the uh, Lincoln Center was. where the event was held, and all the all the chefs, all the other chefs, are moaning and groaning why David Chang wins everything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so he aunt, he's had his troubles too. No, and he's yeah, settled down now. He's a daddy.
4: <laughs> so yes, a lot of these chefs. Exactly.
0: Settle down when they become daddies.
4: <laughs> That's right, exactly. And he really yeah. has; he's working on himself. And uh, yeah, I'm he, proud of him. He needed some work. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, yeah. But um, so yeah, so I don't know. So I mean, I think that we've passed that that uh, phase of celebrity chef. I think we're moving on to something else now. Um, and if, after the celebrity chef, it was the celebrity farmer. And I think we've moved on from that, too, and we're dealing with issues. And that's what I think we're, we're about right now. I mean, I wonder yeah. about all these people that are opening now, the people who are opening these small restaurants. And I, I can't even imagine how they're yeah. – I think we're now – Pittsburgh is now up to 50% occupancy inside, up from 25%. I mean, you just can't uh,
4: – I don't
1: know. Yeah.
0: Did you –
4: it, it yeah, doesn't but, work out on the calculator. You know, it's impossible I know. to turn a profit. It's just, it's not even anybody's opinion. It just can't be done. Exactly. Our favorite uh, restaurant in
0: London, uh, he closed exactly for that, the Leadbury. He closed exactly because there was no way on that occupancy he could make
4: a profit.
0: He couldn't even stay yeah. afloat.
4: Right. So, Yeah. Yeah, and, and course, they just put out something that a lot of these folks, uh, it's something like 50% of the folks or something like that that are getting COVID um, were, you know, they traced them back to a restaurant. So folks oh, are yeah, getting I it go a restaurant, restaurant bar. Yeah. Yeah, and I Chris think. Chris you
0: know, are going them back to yeah, schools, yeah. which is the other stupid thing. Anyhow, That's back right. to Clark plus Hopkins. Um, yeah. So tell us now, um, you, your all of your sauces are on the spicy side, right?
4: Well, actually, um, you know, as the hot sauce world goes, um, our sauces are considered mild. Yeah, um, I, I think so too. Do, yeah, I do not do daredevil sauces or anything like that. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we that's what we think too. Yeah. We, thank we you use. Very much. I, we
0: use your um, uh, Laotian, the Laos sauce on salmon. And, and it, it's wonderful. We're having it tonight again.
1: No, I nice. know. That did was the, the, the Peruvian,
0: Peruvian or did You just do it by itself. I meant the Peruvian sauce. No, I meant Peruvian. Peruvian. We love Peruvian food. We've been to uh, yeah. Peru. We, we
1: talked about nice. we talked about the Laotian one already in 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 the Right. I, I meant it was.
0: It was a slip of my tongue. I meant oh, that it sure, was the sure. Peruvian uh, sauce that we use on salmon, and so um, it, it's not. Well, Peruvian is not the most spicy of the spicy cuisines. Uh, they have the ají chili, but it's not overpowering. It's not uh, no it hatch or anything like that. And so, and and um, of course, the Peruvian food has so many different components. But it's very good. So, but you have a lot of actual flavors in in your um, product, not just heat.
4: Well, thank you. And and that's my aim. Um, Assam is my spiciest one, and Assam is northeast India, which is home of the Bhut pepper or the ghost pepper. So we oh, all okay, have right. ghost in there. But it is, in my opinion, I mean, if folks like reasonably spicy food, it is still not overbearingly hot. Um, and, you know, the great part about these sauces is, and, you know, a, a Whole Foods buyer said this to me, is you, you all are almost in your own category. Um, you're more of a culinary sauce than just a topical hot sauce. That's and true. Um, and it's actually how I designed them. So I have a lot of um, turnkey recipes that are on my website and then also on Instagram. But just a quick example of a recipe is just taking a can of coconut milk, reducing it a couple of minutes, and adding, you know, a tablespoon or, to taste of Assam or kerala, and you have an exotic curry in less than five minutes. And you don't have to be a chef to have something wonderful like that. And in many cases, you're not even getting a knife out, um, with many of our recipes. So all of the recipes are one, two, three, maybe four ingredients out of your pantry and our sauce, and you can make some, some pretty exotic and tasty things with them.
0: That's pretty logical for a chef to come up with a product like that, right?
4: Yes. It really, you know, I just wanted to do something that was fun, um, and and they really are a lot of fun in the kitchen. Even if you know you're a rookie cook, um, you know you can just go to our website, uh, you know, see the couple of ingredients and and know that you can do that at home. Um, so uh, you know, especially lately, you know, our, our folks are not going to restaurants, and and you're able to make something super fast without. You know, calling for you know delivery or what have you.
1: No, it's it's funny, Brandon. If you th- if you think about it, we've been using Worcestershire sauce and Tabasco sauce for for decades, centuries That's in right. the case of Worcestershire, centuries in the case of Worcestershire sauce. And and asked me the other day when who invented Worcestershire sauce, and the answer was Doctor Lee and Doctor Perry. <laughs> 200 years ago. <laughs> Pretty catchy name. Yeah.
0: Well, it's... it's. Um, I, do you think people's palaces are totally changing to this? I mean, I've never seen anything like this surge in hot sauces.
4: Yeah, I mean, and you know, the renaissance of hot sauce, I think we showed up like right at the cusp of of when it was beginning, which was about three years ago, which is when we started, Um, and now it's really become a thing, and and obviously, you all know, you're foodies. There was very few of us out there trying other cuisines across the world. I always have. My parents have introduced me to that. I'm really fortunate like that. But I also, um, you know, grew up with a lot of kids that would just eat continental American food, and oh, yeah. and that was about it. So lately, you know, with the exposure, maybe the Internet has something to do with that, I'm not sure. Or, you know, the Food Network might have a play in, you know, this gradually over the past couple of decades. But it's really exciting, you know, to see spa shops and, and, you know, other restaurants going into towns where they otherwise wouldn't. Um mm-hmm. but but yeah I think uh the, you know people are definitely trying and getting curious about other cuisines more even at younger ages so I, I really love that
1: Do you have any do you have any in the pipeline that you're partic- particularly excited about
4: Well when I first started um
1: I made
4: 23 sauces over a 3 day weekend Oh my um, goodness. Yes, I just, you know, I was, you know, I'm such a food geek. And, you know, after studying Kerala and then, you know, I just started, you know, studying Ethiopia, I would write down the ingredients that I would use. I didn't use measurements. And I basically made a gallon of 23 different countries and regions over the weekend. Um, So obviously, as a rookie, it's very expensive to... Um, you know, to have a lot of SKUs and in inventory. And so we actually have 10 SKUs, which is a lot for three years. So we just have to be careful, you know, to grow at the right rate. But, you know, I have, I can tell you about some. I have New Orleans. So I, I used to live on the Gulf Coast and spend a lot of time in New Orleans. So that one was pretty important to me. Yeah, um, what did you go for? I mean, there's so many cuisines in New Orleans. We love New Orleans. We, oh, my yeah. gosh. I could go on and on about New Orleans and my favorite yeah, places too. there that I pray for, um, Commanders being one of them. Um, uh-huh. Right, right. But, yeah, so yeah, so I did do in Galapagos and Arnos and on and on. But um, I also did uh, Maine, which we're pretty excited about, uh, which is uh, Maine Wild Blueberries. Jalapeno, uh, ginger, and jalapeno, ginger, and then Mopsy. lemon.
1: Thyme.
4: <laughs> yeah, and lemon thyme and it really turned out fantastic. Um, I love Maine. We we went there uh, a couple years ago, and th- that's a, an amazing pooty place too. Yeah, um, and then good, we
0: a good chef are friend are of mine just moved from Florida back to Maine to work with uh, what's her name. At, uh, Melissa Kelly. Melissa Kelly. Yeah. Okay. Oh, um, okay. So, yeah, um, and we just got the um, shipment that includes it on FedEx that includes live lobsters from Maine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they were so Yeah, you peppy. would, think,
4: yeah, you would is, think the price of lobster would be low considering all these restaurants are not buying. As much lobster. it's that. not translated. Now it's, it's supposed to be.
0: It's supposed to be much lower, um, but you got all the metal and stuff involved, and it's not quite as low right. as you think it's supposed to be. Um, yeah, I agree. A, a lot of the, the lobster farms have moved into colder waters, more north into Canada
4: too. Right. Yeah, it's it's that's the other yeah, thing. We
0: not that. only have coronavirus and uh, and the collapsed economy, but we also have um, climate change and global warming. I mean, right. I couldn't believe. Well, it was Denver. They had um, it was hundred and some degrees one day, and then the next day they had three inches of snow on the ground, and it was freezing. Yeah. So what
4: kind of Isn't that unbelievable? Thing? Yeah, I know it's yeah, and crazy. Uh, we we actually canceled a trip to Carmel, um, California, and you know for obvious reasons. And, and it was uh, I believe two weeks ago we would have gone, and it was like you know it, it, Carmel is like 65 in the daytime and 55 yeah, at night every bit, single yeah. day of the year basically, and. It was, you know, 93 degrees the other day and Carmel. I
1: mean, that's just yeah.
4: unbelievable. Yeah. Well, this uh, Death Valley, I guess, has earned its name. It was
0: 130. <laughs> wow. You can't even live at that kind of temperature. It's just ridiculous. No, you can't. Mm-hmm.
4: So, what's next for Clark plus Hopkins? Well, uh, you know, I was talking about the other sauces, um, and, and, you know, we have uh, some labels ready for them as well for New Orleans, um, for Maine, and another one that we're looking at is Vermont, and it it is maple-based with uh, mustard, uh, ginger, jalapeno, and it will be offered as a breakfast hot sauce um,
1: when we release that. Interesting. Interesting. Do you put that on your granola or do you put it on fruit? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was sandwich?
4: actually I was thinking about sausage when um, I made it. My wife is from Vermont, so I wanted to do something for her. And our graphic designer um, Gary McCadden, he is incredible. Um, oh, he's I, I wonderful. I have nothing to do with those labels. I just tell him, "Hey, Gary, we're going to do Virginia next," and then he comes back with that, you know, bringing the Virginia flag. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, you're so talented!" (laughs) But um, he did the Vermont license plate. um, You know, the green license plate for the bottle. It it looks fantastic. I can send, I can email you all a snapshot of it. But Mm -hmm. he's just such a talented guy.
0: I would say not quite, but almost half of the people in specialty food that we interview are from Vermont. <laughs> Interesting. Wow, well, they're all the artisanal people there.
4: It, there yeah. really are. And, you know, one thing about them overall, as you all know, is they really don't like things too spicy. Um, So this sauce actually is not that spicy, but it does have a little kick to it. But I think uh, some Vermont folks would be open to it. Well,
0: I'll tell you, it's great, Brandon, talking to you, too. I knew I was going to like you because I like your products so much. And uh, I hope continued success with your product development because you seem to have a great handle on that. Your mind and your imagination is going ten miles in a second. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, so, well, and if they ever know. get,
0: they ever get the fancy food Fist show back, <laughs> maybe they'll have um, regular. They, the poor, some of the poor people, you know, not only is it a hassle to have to send those product samples. But you know yeah. with all the spoilers and stuff, and they had to do it twice. You know because they 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 sent all the original stuff before they canceled the show and the judging. <laughs> so right. the people had to turn around and send it again to New Jersey. So for the judging, that. but so anyway, who then. knows? We're not going to have the Beard Awards till nineteen. I mean till um, two thousand and twenty three. I think. Uh, wow!
2: I yeah, I mean, it's right it's,
0: that. that's canceled. They had um, it's a big scandal. Look up Pete Wells's columns in the New York Times. to get You got a gist of what's happened. I mean, they they oh, just it's all kinds of. Okay.
1: In, in the meantime, wow. bro, bro,
0: bro. So do you
4: all go to the fancy food show?
1: I did. Then not, 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 not every not every year, but frequently. Yeah,
4: okay. Yeah. So just it's to a real workout. Yeah, it really is. It's it's a zoo, but um, it's a good zoo. It's been good to us, that's for sure. But just to let you all know, um, the Specialty Food Association is doing an online show September twenty first through the twenty fourth. Yeah. And really. we are also doing a live tasting, so this should be interesting. So what they did was is they presented all the companies. And, you know, if the buyers are interested in your product, they will notify the Specialty Food Association, who in turn sent me a list of the buyers. So I send the buyers um, samples as they requested, and then on the date and time that they give me, we do a Zoom call, and and I present the product as they're tasting them, um, and, and just go, go across the lineup. And, you know, in many ways, you're not, as you all know, when you're at the fancy food show, it, it's, there's so much going on, but I've got <laughs> complete focus with, you know, 40 or 50 people, however many it is. And I have their attention without all this crowd noise and I'm able to have an exchange with them. So we'll see how it goes. And I'd be That happy sounds to do great. A yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can let you know how it goes.
0: I've seen wine tastings work that way, but um, yeah. there are other reasons why the beer stuff's not coming on. So, um right. And um, yeah, so you'll read about that. Anyhow, it's great meeting you, and um, I look forward to your continuing to develop these wonderful uh, tools for delicious world. Class meals. <laughs> well, thank you so
4: much, and it's really an honor to speak with you both. And um, I certainly hope, um, as fellow foodies, we could have dinner one day
1: sometime. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't no, we, it? Can, we, 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 can, we, we can practice it as if, as if, as if we're together. What, what I'm that's doing tonight to is, right. is, Peru, is Peruvian sauce on salmon. So, why there don't you do Peruvian sauce on salmon? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> have you been to lima i have not you have to go and yeah. i mean when the restaurants open again fabulous food
4: yeah so, that is it, definitely on our list for sure and, and oh also, I mean, uh, it's wonderful of course it, it remains to
0: be seen how many people how many restaurants survive i guess but they're brilliant yeah. restaurants Okay, well, we, we have to move on, and um, okay. it's a head-on day starting from 10 this morning, so we better keep going. <laughs> gotcha. Thanks so much. Again, hey, thank uh, you everyone all. rush out and buy Clark plus Hopkins artisanal pepper sauces. Thank
1: you. Well, Bye-bye. Thank you. Brandon was sort of, shall we say, he was quiet. <laughs> we, we, hope, we, hope you, we hope you manage to pick up the thread and be, be, be sure to sample these sources because they're nothing if not quiet and, and we will be back same time same place next week and we won't be quiet either so we will hope to see you then and until then bye bye